Well, tonight we're going to talk about water baptism, what that looks like, how water baptism tells us the story of Jesus and his role in our life at the same time that we have an understanding of what water baptism is. But first, I'm going to share a story of my near-death experience. How many of you had a near-death experience? How many of you had a near-death experience from drowning? Okay, all right. Now, one night, uh, one day... (laughs) I was at Whitewater, and I was a young little sprout, and I just learned how to, like, actually swim. So not doggy paddle, but, like, actually swim. So I thought I was awesome. And so I go to the wave pool of, of Whitewater, and it was, like, the busiest day of the year. So there's just, like, a sea of people and a sea of people sitting in those tubes that I cannot fit in. I, I, I don't know what it is about me or maybe it's my height or something. I cannot fit into those tubes and be comfortable. It is like the least comfortable thing in the world for me. But it's just a sea of these people and the waves start to come. And I was always like, man, I want to be one of those cool kids because the cool kids like go to the end and then like come back. They go all the way down to the deepest end. And I was like, I'm going to do this. And I was all by myself you know, just a lone wolf, a cowboy out on the wave water. And I, I noticed some kids that whenever the wave would come, they like to go under it and come out. I don't know how many of you have done that. Like the wave comes, you, go, you jump in it and come out, right? I did that, and guess what I hit? Tube, tube on my head. And, and a large person was sitting in it because I couldn't, I couldn't move it. And, and then I, like, I was like, okay, I'm going to go over here. I, like, swim over to the, to the left and tube, tube, go to the front, tube. And I did this for, like, 15 seconds, and I just accepted it. I was like, all right, today's the day I die. <laughs> today, today is the day it is in the wave pool because I'm an idiot and thought I could swim this. Uh, this is the way I go. And I kind of just, like, lost hope, thought the end is here. And then somehow, some way, uh, there was the Lord, the Holy Spirit just parted, just he moved the tubes, and I got an inkling of space and like stuck my head out of the water and shoved all the tubes away from me. And then uh, I then had to share this moment. I had to share this moment with my family that was there and let them know that I almost died, but now I live Okay, so that's, you can hear, hear the story, a good story of how I almost died, but now I live. And I'm going to relate this story a little bit to the process of water baptism, all right? But first things first, I got to school, you guys. I got to, I got to teach you a few things about water baptism. So that's why I brought this lovely little whiteboard um, you give it up for Jesse and um, who was with you. Is it Blake for helping me put that up there? Thank you guys. But you guys are now in class, so I need you to pay attention. Uh, if you want to talk, you must raise your hand. Okay? Right on. All right, first thing is we need to know, uh, Austin, I am speaking right now, young man. Do you need to take notes? Um, I don't know. If you asked your teacher if you need to take notes, what do you think they would say? Yeah. 
Whip out your pen and paper. You didn't bring it? ISS, no. No, there's no more questions. No, I took one from Austin. No, silence. This has now become a college. Professor, you don't talk when I'm talking. Ready? Okay. Water baptism. This pen is terrible. That's why I brought three just in case. This is why two is bad, three is better. You ready? I'm glad this one worked. All right. Water baptism. Okay? So let's talk about, over here, the Old Testament. All right? The word baptism, I don't know if you guys can see it. Sorry, you're missing out. The word baptism is never used in the Old Testament. The word baptism is actually a Greek word, baptizo, and it is not in the Hebrew language. So the word baptism is never seen in the Old Testament. All right? But the act or the meaning behind baptism, there was a little bit of that, and we see that. Ready? Boom. Leviticus 16. And so what was going on in Leviticus 16 is water was used to cleanse, to purify, all right? And how this was done is there was priests. And what the priests would do is they would enter the temple and they would make atonement or they would, they would slaughter an animal so that they could be forgiven of their sins or they would kill an animal for you to be forgiven of your sins. That was their role. And the reason this was is that who can forgive their sins? Who can forgive sins? Who's the only one that has the ability to forgive sins? It's not you. It's God. And so, in order, like sin, the result of sin is death. So something, that's the penalty of sin. And therefore, how is that sin going to be forgiven? If it's on you, you committed it. You know, one, we see God is gracious in this way. One, he allowed us to take that off. It wasn't on the Israelite people. It wasn't on them. And therefore, the animal paid the price. If the animal paid the price for the sin... But what was going on is Aaron, the, you know, Moses' brother, who was like the main priest, what was going on is he was going to this temple, and this temple's holy. I mean, God is forgiving them of sins. Like, get your act together. And his sons were coming in to the temple, uh, and they were not pure. They were not purified. They're actually breaking the rules of how you're supposed to enter. You're supposed to wash yourself with water. So they, they died. And uh, they, they just they bit the dust because they did not obey what they were supposed to do. So what you're supposed to do is you enter, take off your normal clothes, and bathe yourself. So you just you get, you get, wash yourself with water, and then they put on priestly holy clothes. Go, make the sacrifices, forgive sins, and then they would take off those clothes, wash again, put on their old clothes. And that, that washing of water, what that did is it allowed priests to enter the presence of God. That's what they did. When, you entered, when they entered the temple to forgive sins, they're entering the presence of God. And God is perfect and holy. Sin is the opposite of who he is. It is repulsive to him. It is the opposite of who he is to where it cannot be in his presence because he is good. And so in order for people to be forgiven of their sins, he allowed them to take the sin that was on them to be put on an animal in order for that to happen to enter his presence. God allowed water, which, what does water really do? I mean, it does really nothing. The act, though, of washing God, washing away their sin when they entered his presence so that they could be pure and blameless before him in order to 
uh, make sacrifices to forgive themselves for, for their own sins and the other people. So we see this weird. So we see here that even this little act, this little weird like Leviticus, man, it's what 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 Leviticus, and we see this act of grace and love just seen in this really weird part of Leviticus 16, talking about priests and they wash themselves. Okay, that's. So that's what we see. We see the washing of water for them to be holy and to restore their relationship with God. But baptism changes. It, it, it gets a little different. We see this in the New Testament right here with, I'm going to shorten it, John the Baptist, JTB, okay? Now, Sir JTB was doing it a little differently. We see this in Matthew chapter 3. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey, because he was one bad dude. Then Jerusalem, in all Judea, in all the region about the Jordan, were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So what was going on is people were coming to him, he was baptizing them, and it's how we would think of it traditionally of them going fully underwater and coming back up. And why, what the reason that is is because the word baptizo, the, that's the Greek word for baptize, means to immerse. And to immerse means to be completely underwater. Do I need to write that down? You guys got that one. Did you guys log that in your brains? All right, good deal. Thanks, Amanda. Good student. So immerse, completely underwater. So that's why we do baptism the way we do because the literal word means to be completely underwater, okay? All right, you guys are passing number one. That was, that was the part one. Next, we see Jesus. He's just going to be J. Okay, I'll put some. Jesus valued baptism. And how he valued it, one, is he got baptized himself. And then two, he commanded his disciples to baptize people. He made it a commandment to go baptize people. We see this in the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So you see, it was now the disciples' job to go out, witness, and when people are saved, they need to be baptized. So how is baptism handled, baptism handled by early Christians? So let's look at Acts chapter 2. And Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost. He's just preaching to a large crowd. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So he preaches. People received his word, meaning they believed it. They believed in Jesus and were baptized. Now, what they didn't do is they didn't wait for a baptism service uh, that was coming up uh, the next month. They actually, right then and there, boom, they went, found some water, got baptized. There was no waiting period. It happened right after they got saved. All right, let's look at Acts chapter 10. And Peter is commanding that the Gentiles be baptized. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. So they accepted uh, Jesus Christ as their Savior, and he's letting them know, hey, baptize them. All right, Acts chapter 8, uh, 35 through 38. All right, the Holy Spirit is telling Philip, Philip's a cool guy, to go start up a conversation with this Ethiopian. And he sees this Ethiopian over there, and he's reading Isaiah. So one of the Old Testament books, he's just, you know, reading away. Holy Spirit says, hey, go over there. Go talk to him. And he, you know, hey, 
buddy, do you know what you're reading? And he's like, no, I need someone to teach me. Because he was reading about, um, it was prophesying about the Messiah, it was prophesying about Jesus. So let's read here. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. What's the pattern we see here? They got saved. They accepted Jesus. Boom, baptized. It wasn't a waiting period. It wasn't a long waiting period. It was once you had the ability to accept Christ, boom, you were baptized. It was just known, even to this Ethiopian, not Jew, he knew immediately, hey, uh, I believe what you're saying. I believe in Jesus. What's preventing me from being baptized? Like they knew that was the next step. That was the next step in their walk with Christ. So now we have this new tradition. And that's what we're going over. And stuff Christians do is a lot of these traditions like communion or worship or a lot of things that we do. And I wanted to emphasize them because sometimes we lose the meaning of tradition. If we're not reminded of the true meaning behind it, it just becomes an act that we do over and over, but we forget why we do it. So what is the meaning of water baptism? We see this in 1 Peter. I put this in cool colors, right? Yeah. This water symbolizes baptism that now saves you. Also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. So we see in green here is the first meaning of baptism, why we do it. The first reason is because baptism is a representation of what Christ has done for you. I often picture it, it's like if I was to, what is like a big, a big moment, if we were to capture it like in an art piece, if we were to like paint it, to show like this whole gigantic, like that's what it reminds me, it's this act, this one little act, and it tells this entire story of what Jesus has done for the world, and specifically for you. So that's the first purpose. As you can see, it symbolizes that you are saved. All right, the second one we see in yellow is that baptism is a public declaration that you are a follower of Christ. It is for you to out loud say to everyone, I follow Jesus. So it's almost like it's like a marriage. Now, what if I got married to Emily, who is not with us tonight? She's in Iowa. But if I got married, but I wanted to keep it a secret. I, wanted, I didn't want to tell anybody I was married to her. I mean, that wouldn't, I mean, that wouldn't be cool. She wouldn't be cool with that. She'd be like, why are you keeping it a secret? What are you trying to get away with? What are you trying to do, huh? So if, if my wife does not let me, and I wouldn't want this anyway, to keep our marriage a secret, why in the world would Jesus want you to keep your relationship with him a secret? Why would he want you to hide that? Why would he not want you to tell your friends about it? And that's what baptism is, is that you're making a pledge to God that I follow you and I will follow you the rest of my days. That's what baptism is, that moment for you to declare it out to the world. All right? So what are some issues with baptism? There's a few issues that we've come along and we've developed some things that are not really uh, something we should be doing, I guess. Uh, I don't know if any of you have been baptized as an infant through a sprinkling of water. 
that is a, a Catholic tradition. So if your family grew up Catholic and you were born and that's what would happen, you would have been baptized as an infant by the sprinkling of water on your forehead. And there's a couple problems with it. And the problems are it does not line up with the two meanings for baptism. The first one is it does not adequately show what Christ has done in your life. And because there is no immersion, there is no submission, like completely in water, it's a sprinkling. And we're going to talk about that because we're going to talk about how baptism shows the relationship with Jesus, shows what Jesus has done for you. So you're going to understand what I mean by that in a second. But secondly, what we learned about baptism is it's a public declaration, right? It's you have made the decision to follow Jesus. You have decided, not your parents. No, you have decided you have decided that, and you are declaring it. Can babies, can babies feed themselves? Can babies even talk? What makes you think they can make the mature decision to follow Jesus Christ with their life and then declare it out to the public? I don't think so. I think they're, they're, that we're missing the point there. And another thing we can look at is no person in the New Testament was baptized in water as an infant. It was always someone who, on their own, they chose, and they said, I want to follow Jesus. So you had to have the maturation to be able to choose Jesus, all right? The second thing we need to know is that you do not need to be baptized to be saved. Now, hold on. What I don't want to happen here is you go in and, and you go tell your family, Christian, I don't have to be baptized, so I'm not going to do it. No, what I'm saying here is that the baptism itself, uh, if you don't do it, that's not going to keep you out of heaven. That's not going to take you out of God's grace. It's not about whether you get baptized or not if you go to heaven. All right? It's not about that act. It's about are you a follower of Jesus? Have you decided that in your heart? So baptism does not save you. We see this example with the thief on the cross. So as Jesus was up being crucified, a couple of criminals next to him, one of them accepted him right then and there. Uh, and so... And that's the beauty of the gospel. This guy, he didn't tithe at all his whole life. He didn't uh, do anything for, for the poor. Uh, and at the end of the day, he didn't get baptized. But Jesus tells him, I'll see you in paradise today. Because it is Jesus' sacrifice, and you accepting that and believing that is what saves you. And his grace covers you for that. It's not about whether you do certain things. Now, so let me just do not get legalistic with it. So don't go tell people to be baptized to be saved. That would be wrong. But then I will say, if you are saved, all right? So you kind of, it's still a commandment. It's something you need to do. And how we see this is every single New Testament believer was baptized. Every single one of them. Jesus commanded it. Disciples did it. You, if you are not baptized and you are a believer in Jesus, we need to have a conversation after this, and you need to be baptized. That needs to happen. So maybe, maybe there's three different reasons why someone that is a believer hasn't been baptized. So one, you didn't realize you were supposed to. That's cool. Now you know. It's all good. Number two is, I don't want to be baptized. Oh, man. It's like saying, I'm a follower of Jesus. I don't want to help the poor. It's like, well, I mean, why wouldn't you? Jesus kind of tells you to help the poor and care for the needy. Uh, I don't want to let Olivia live. I'm going to murder her. 
how in the world, how in the world can you uh, say you're a follower of God and yet not desire to do what he's commanded you to do, right? You are going to live. Do not worry, right? So if you're saying, well, I just don't want to get baptized, that's a hard issue. Something's going on there. Make sure you're right with God. Make sure you're really in a relationship with him because if you're in a relationship with him, you want to do what he wants you to do. The third reason is if somebody didn't have the opportunity to be baptized before death, that might be a reason, and we covered it. That's okay. They're going to be fine, all right? It is not baptism that saves a person. But now I want to talk about the whole process of baptism and what, how it tells the story of Jesus in our lives. How many of you have seen the movie Inception? Let me see the movie Inception. Right on. I love that movie. And so when I started thinking of baptism, I immediately remembered a scene. There's a scene in the movie where to wake up from a dream, to wake up, you have to like have this feeling of falling and like splashing into water. That's how you wake up from dreams in this movie. All right, because they're like doing cool stuff in dreams if you haven't seen it. So there's this scene where Leonardo DiCaprio is getting kicked off um, his chair and falls into a bathtub so he can wake up from his dream. All right? So the very first part of baptism, if you've ever been a part of a water baptism, is the person gets up, they're in a lake, or they're, um, I don't know, they're up in church in the tub. You know, if you've been baptized, you know what I'm talking about. You just, you get up there and you're standing in the water. All right? And I call this the kick. And that's what it's called in the movie. It's called the kick to wake up. All right? So what has happened here in the kick is you have taken a look around. You have listened to what we have said. You have listened to, you've read the Bible, and you're saying, you know what? This thing makes sense. You're saying, you know what? I, I, I believe in Jesus. I think he came, he died for my sins, and, and he's the Savior of the world. And so what has happened there is you have gone from being asleep, not knowing that, to waking up. Just like in, that, in the movie, he was kicked so that he would wake up. And we read this in Ephesians chapter 5. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You can also take the analogy and say that you were blind, but now you're see. For the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man, he's talking about Jesus, is a sinner. He answered, Whether Jesus is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And right now I want to emphasize that baptism or believing in Jesus is not up to your parents. It was not their decision for you. And so, maybe you've been baptized. Maybe you haven't, and you're saying, I, when I was at that moment in time, I don't know if I actually made that decision for me. And I would encourage you that, do you now see? Do you, have you awoken? Do you believe in Jesus? Have you had that moment where you said, I believe this. I do, not my parents, me. For me, that happened in my eighth grade year. It happened later in life for me to really say, hey, wait a second, I believe this. And so reflect in your own life, you know, is this something that you believe in? It is your thing, all right? So there's the kick, so you're falling, you're, you're there, and then the burial, all right? So I call the next phase of water baptism is the burial. 
And so this, some of you, um, if you were baptized, it's a very scary moment where you go under the water, right? And you're just hoping that the pastor is not going to hold your head under, right? Just like those people in the video, you're hoping that they pull you back up. But what that represents, when you enter that water, what rep- represents is a drowning, a death. Because you've woken up, you now realize what's around you is that, oh man, I have a sinful nature. I now realize, I see that I've sinned. You have woken up and you recognize that I can't do this on my own. I can't save myself because you're drowning in sin. And we see this in in all over the Bible of evidence of a sinful nature. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Or Romans 6, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So when you're under that, when that person first goes under, that's representing they've sinned. That's like, you, you have sinned. I have fallen. And when we recognize that we have sinned, we recognize that we need a Savior, right? We talked about that with stuff Christians do, Christians sin. Maybe this world, we would want a Savior more if we were a little more realistic and a little more open about our sins and our sinful nature. Because at the end of the day, we all to list off our sins. Guess what? There wouldn't be a question anymore if we have a sinful nature or not. There wouldn't be a question anymore if we need a Savior or not. So you go under the burial because you've sinned and it's drowning. But then what happens is the cleanse. Because what happens is the pastor does not hold you under. The pastor does not keep you there. And what happens is Jesus didn't just say, ah, forget you guys. You can just wallow in your sin. You can just go sin all day and die forever alone. What did, Jesus did not turn away from us. He showed compassion on us. That even as we constantly rejected him with our sin, he decided to cleanse us. He decided, just like the priest in Leviticus, who they took the water to wash it off, that he would wash off our sin. That even though we've sinned, he's going to, he, instead of an animal paying the price, he's going to take it on. He's going to pay the price for us. So that we don't have to do that anymore. So we can be in right relationship with him. So that we can enter the presence of God because if you've sinned, not that it's okay to sin, but it's okay because Jesus' grace, Jesus' sacrifice is way bigger than your sin. No matter how dirty you are and how many sins you've committed, Jesus washes you and makes you clean. Let me read this in 1 John. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. In the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. How many of you are saying, I have no sin? You're a liar, and the truth is not in you. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what happens is as you're buried, in that water. You're buried in your sin. And the moment that you're being pulled out, the water is going where? It's going against you. Like if you like were really dirty on your baptism day, 
or if one day you do get baptized, you're like really dirty, you're going to come out of it with a lot less dirt on you. Because the very act of just pulling you out of the water like that, just by physics, it's going to wash it off. And what this represents is Jesus paying that price for you, loving you, and washing away your sin so that you can be in right relationship with him. And for no other reason, with no gain other than he loves you. That is the only reason that, that, that this happened. And we didn't deserve it. We didn't even deserve to ask for it. He did it on his own because he loves us. So that moment, which is that awesome picture of is the cleanse that we're coming up out of the water. And the last part, the last phase is the new life. Because once you wake up and realize, okay, I think this Jesus thing's real, you say, okay, whoa, I've sinned. How am I going to deal with this? Thank goodness Jesus died for me, and he took on my sin so I can live. Now I have a new life. I am a new person because of what Jesus has done in me. We read this in Romans 6, and it's long, but I really want you to look at the words and take, what's said, take in what is said. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound. And what he's saying there is, well, since Jesus is going to forgive us, should we just keep on sinning? I mean, he's going to forgive us, right? How many of you have, know someone like that? Maybe you have a problem with that, where it's like, they like, huh, Jesus, is, Jesus will forgive me. I can do whatever I want. And so if you have that line of thought, boom, Romans, sex is, Romans chapter 6 says, you are, forgive me, have grace, okay? All right. Romans chapter 6 is saying, you are not in right relationship with God if that is your line of thinking. Because Paul responds by saying, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? That if you're saved, you've died to sin. That is not control you. That is not in charge of who you are. So why would you want to keep on doing it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. So this, you're hearing this death, this baptism into death, that when you went down, there was a burial that happened. That was a burial of your old self. That was a burial of your sinful nature. Now, does that sinful nature completely go away? No. But it does mean it's not in charge of you. It does mean that you have a new reason to live. A new thing comes inside of you. That is the Spirit of God. So if you hear this baptism into death, it's talking about that burial, that moment, phase two, all right? We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, if we, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead never die 
will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body. Do not let it be in charge of you guys to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over, over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Your life should not be defined by sin. Your life should be defined by a newness of life. There should be something different about you because you have chosen to follow Jesus. You should now have a new desire to get rid of it. That's the difference. That's what's come inside of you says, hey, I want to fight this thing now. I want to fight this sinful nature. I don't want this to have dominion and to control my life. So with this new life, there's something that you have got to do. And it's something I did at Whitewater. When I thought I was going to die, and I was an idiot for going out there, so I deserved it. I deserved death at that moment. And somehow, some way, without deserving it, I lived. Do you hear what I'm saying? That we deserve death because we sin, and yet for no reason, Jesus decided to save us, and I came out of that water and I had to tell people, I almost died, but now I live. Jesus told the disciples to go into all the nations to let them know about him. Have you told someone about this new life that you have? If you say, I follow Jesus, this whole act of baptism should always be in your mind knowing that you, sinner, Saved by God, I got to tell someone. That's part of it. I'm going to ask the uh, worship team to come forward. We'll leave that there for now. And the worship team will come up. So I'm going to go through those four steps because even for you that have been baptized, there's something we need to be reminded about in these four phases. Okay? The first is the kick, all right? Maybe there's a problem there in the sense that have you made a personal decision to have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you made that decision? And if you haven't, let me know that there's a God that loves you and he came down for no reason, but he saved you just to save you because he loves you. So have you woken up and realized, oh man, I need to make this my own? Have you done that? Second is the burial. Do you recognize that you're sinful? Do you, do you sometimes go to bed thinking, I deserve, you know, this. I deserve heaven because I'm a good person. Do you have a problem recognizing your sin? Do you have a problem recognizing the sinful nature? Do you have a problem recognizing that you need a Savior? So a good practice to have is, do you confess your sins? Do you confess them to at least God? Do you say them out loud? Because that's a humbling process. 
The next is the cleanse. Do you rely upon Jesus to save you? Do you go on sinning and say, ah, I don't need Jesus? Or do you go on trying to be a good person and say, I don't need Jesus for that either? Do you try to be your Savior, or is Jesus your Savior? Do you recognize him for what he is and what he's done for you? And last is newness of life. If you are saved, have you told someone? And if not, why not? That part of baptism, that public declaration to let everybody know that you follow Jesus isn't just a one-time thing. That part of baptism should be your life, is letting people know. And for no other reason than you love them and have compassion on them. Because you don't want them to continue their life of sin, a life without knowing the Savior that came down for them. Do you love your friends? Do you love them enough to let them know about this decision you've made? So tonight, if you can stand. And so first, look at yourself. We're going we're gonna to enter a time of worship. So look at yourself and those questions. You know, do you, do you have a problem with pride? Do you have a problem with confessing those sins? Do I have a problem recognizing Jesus and who he is? Look at yourself. Because there's always a problem there, always. There's always something to work on. But then, think of someone. Think of somebody in your school, somebody in your family, someone that you can tell. You can say, I've got a new life because of the decision I've made. Because I want you guys to go away from this place and live out water baptism. It should be your life. Let's worship God. Oh,